Hello and welcome to a wonderful special episode of House of Decline. It's an anime episode. You love our anime episodes, you fans. You wonderful House of Decline fans. And with us, as always, is Steven. Hello. And in the house today, we got uh, Lux and Griffin from the Game Boys podcast. What up? Yo. How you guys doing today? How you, how you feeling? I overslept until, I'll be honest, I slept, I was asleep until 11.45 my time, which is 15 <laughs> minutes before we were recording this podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah, that rules. Uh, I slept right through my alarm. And I underslept, preparing for this arduous task ahead of us. That, I can <laughs> confirm that too, because I woke up and I had a text from Griffin that was at 8 a.m. my time, which is 6 a.m. your time. Because, to be fair... Every alarm in my house went off for the Kingdom Hearts 4 trailer. <laughs> it, it, like Kingdom the, Hearts 4. Kingdom the, Hearts 4. The window like turned into metal panels that like went down. There was like red lights and buzzing and I yeah, I, I had no idea what was going on and then all of a sudden Kingdom Hearts 4. Holy yeah, I, shit. I woke up, opened my phone, saw what time it was, went to take script and be like, "Oh shit, I just woke up." And the first thing I saw in the text thread was Kingdom Hearts 4 exclamation point exclamation point. <laughs> and I just said, oh no, and then turned off my phone for 10 minutes like fed the dogs. I, I they incorporated yeah. the Roman numeral 4 into the heart. It's amazing. They did? Oh my god. They did. They, they, um, they did, and I had trouble understanding at first what the. I was like, is that a three? No, it's a four. It's a four. There's a little V <laughs> oh, there. There's a little V. Oh my a god. A, a bit of a tangent, but. Uh, the best franchise for including the number of the movie in the text of the title mm-hmm. is Scream, for sure. Oh, yeah. Because if you start with with Scream 5, you can get 5 Cream, then <laughs> S-Cur 4, then S-Cur 4 and, yeah, yeah, of course. then Scraw 3, then uh, Scraw 2 Eam, or Scraw 2 M, and then Scream Regular. Uh, well, that's uh, going to be a perfect lead-in for what I think the sequel to what we're talking about today would be called, and that would be Shingeki 2 Kyojin. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> or, att- or Attack Shingeki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Attack on Tujin. Two Shingeki 2 Kyojin. We're talking about Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. You know it. You love it. Its penultimate season has just finished and uh, ending, and we're waiting to get to the next one, which is coming in 2023. But uh, people are back on the Attack on Titan train, and uh, we want to go over the show just because we're interested in it. We think it's uh, interesting how popular it is, given how controversial the material is, and we think uh, the show actually has a lot to say. People say the author, Hajime Isayama, is kind of dumb. I disagree. I think he's actually pretty fucking smart, but also might have some weird beliefs, but we're going we're gonna to get into it. So, Attack on Titan. Uh, we're just going to give a short summary of the plot right now. It starts and so sorry off... to interrupt, but I prepared to debate the fascism of Kingdom Hearts. So sorry. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, we could get into that. We could well, absolutely uh, get into let that. Let me just also say, Alex on Friday was like, hey, can you watch all of Attack on Titan by Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, No. <laughs> It's really good. You'll get into it. I I watched the first two episodes this morning and then I read the Wikipedia. So nice, uh, nice. I know okay. I, you don't have to you don't have to over explain on my account. So I'm, I'm actually an expert now. So. <laughs> all, that's all you need. All you need are the wikis uh, to get the gist. Because uh, the gist is pretty good. It's a pretty Hon- good mystery. It's and honestly, uh, my big argument on this episode will be that you shouldn't watch the show. You should only read tweets that are negative about it. Yes. And, and, that, and that counts as consuming art. 
Absolutely. Uh, you only need to read negative criticisms. That is, don't watch things. Only read negative criticisms of things. Try to try uh, to try to try to just disengage from content and including this podcast. Yeah, Whoa. don't listen to this. <laughs> Float into the void. Become a titan. Inject yeah. spinal fluid, titan spinal fluid, into your Jewish body. <laughs> no, and then get no. huge. Yeah, get get so absolutely. That's what I'm working swole. on. Exactly. Maybe titans are a metaphor for uh, swag. For juicing, juicing uh. in the NFL. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. They are they are swag. <laughs> so a plot summary. Yeah, sorry. We have a little German boy. Named he's not German. They're they're we don't know what race they are. Actually, we kind of do because there are Japanese people in it. It's weird. It's a weird show. So Aaron Kruger, uh, he's in his little village that's inside this gigantic wall, and uh, one day this colossal titan attacks. This titan that's bigger than their two hundred foot wall kicks down the wall. And uh, a bunch of these other titans come scrambling in. And what titans are? These giants, these unthinking giants that eat humans, except for the colossal titan who appears to be thinking. And then another titan that appears to be thinking, an armored titan, comes and bursts through another wall. These titans run amok in Aaron's town, and they eat. one of these titans eats his mom right in front of him. And so he, uh, there he vows revenge against the titans. He joins uh, the Army Corps, and they use this very funny equipment called 3D maneuvering equipment. Uh, your, OD, your ODM gear. Your ODM gear, of course, your ODM gear. Omnidirectional gear. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, attracts people to the series because, the, especially in the anime, the ODM gear, very dynamic, very cool sequences you do with it. The best sequences are, in fact, uh, with like just Levi just going through the streets running through ODM gear. So Aaron joins the army uh, and he joins this uh he joins this corps and meets all these nice friends in the army and who are all devoted to getting Titans and everyone tells them their story of how they wanted to fight the Titans. He goes out on a mission. Uh, no, no. First off, uh, it's then Aaron discovers. Oh, it's the it's the attack on Trost. Where, it's the attack on Trost. Where, That's where, you lead us where, where, Tro, where, where they're fighting in one of their first battles. And it's basically child soldiers. These people are <laughs> yeah, like teenagers. Yeah. Um, and it goes really poorly and a lot of kids die. But. Uh, in that skirmish, Aaron becomes the attack titan for the first time, yeah. uh, discovering that he has the power to transform into a titan, and it's our first example of a human having the titan power. <laughs> the attack uh, titan being a giant titan with big teeth who looks a little bit like sort of a Mick Jagger uh, titan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's cool. He's, you know he's super cool because he's got a strong jaw and elf ears. Uh, and oh, no, he does have, it is like elfin ears. Yeah, yeah. He has the big that. pointy nose and long hair. He's very elf-like, mm-hmm. similar uh, to Mick Jagger. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Uh, so uh, after Trost, uh, he joins the uh, what are they called? Survey They're led Corps. by the Survey Corps. And what they do is they the go scouts. outside the walls in mm-hmm. to in order to uh, explore the geography of the land around them and find an origin of the Titans. And Survey Corps trips are just everyone gets wrecked because they're just surrounded by titans on all sides. Um, And there in the Survey Corps, he meets Commander Irwin and Levi, the greatest titan fighter of them all. Uh, I'm also skipping over his girlfriend, Mikasa, because she's the best titan fighter in the world, but she's super boring. (laughs) She's the least interesting character in the whole thing. Uh, So 
they get so Aaron gets totally fucked up and everyone dies on his first Survey Corps outing. Uh, they go back and it turns out one of their friends, Annie, also has the power to transform into a Titan and she turns into the female Titan and they fight and then she encases herself in crystal rather than go down. Um, uh, season two. <laughs> uh, so season two is fucking crazy. You just mm-hmm. um, so you learn that a bunch of Aaron's other friends were the Colossal Titan and the Armored Titan that invaded uh, the the that invaded Aaron's town to begin with in the beginning. The Shinshigami district. Yes, exactly. And you also learn that Aaron's other friend from the core, this core is just filled with significant people. <laughs> you learn <laughs> that uh, Aaron's other friend uh, well, is it's the his... only it's the only core that like has anything worth doing. All the other cores are literally fake jobs. Yeah, because either like, and people admit that that like either you're like a, yeah. a guard who stays in town, or you're a military police who exploits your power to get free booze. Yeah, or you're a scout. Those are the three jobs you can have. Yeah, there's like not much worth in invading those ranks. <laughs> yeah, there's some Walrose version of David Graeber going. You know, why are we so unhappy right now? Why are right. why are the military police so unhappy? You know. Bullshit jobs. Um, what? Yeah. When? When did the military police lose their swag? Yeah. Um, season two and three are largely about basically learning about the history and learning that the actual history of what the Titan of the origin of the Titans and what they are has been covered up, mm-hmm. uh, specifically by this guy called Rod Rice, who is the uh, who, who has royal blood, and only people with royal blood are basically allowed to know the origin of the Titans. Mm-hmm. And so seasons two and three are about uncovering this mystery. And finally, at the end of season three, you figure out the origin of the Titans. Now, there's there's like a lot of stuff that happens, and I'm glossing over a lot of stuff, but that's the basic arc. Uh, there are lots of individual character stories that we can get into later. Specifically in season two, it's like my favorite story in the entire series uh, about Emir and her love for Historia. That's mm-hmm. super interesting. I've never yeah. seen that in a shonen it, anime before. It's a it's a good lesbian relationship in like a triple A yeah mm-hmm. anime. And uh, really well-written characters, If there's one thing I could just quickly summarize about seasons two and three, I mean, just in, like, a one-line sentence, season one seems to be, like, the enemy is everywhere outside. Mm -hmm. Season two seems to be, like, the enemy is among us. Mm -hmm. And then season three seems to be, like, the enemy is the stories we tell each other. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, um... I mean, yeah, history and the arc of history and who creates history is perhaps the biggest theme of the show. Mm-hmm. So um, season three, you learn the secret of the Titans, and the Titans are actually humans. They're humans that are of a race called Eldians, and Eldians uh, can transform into Titans uh, if you inject Titan spinal fluid into their spines. Uh, if you do that to a regular Eldian, they'll turn into one of the mindless Titans. But there are also nine sentient Titans, who are nine pieces of the original big Titan. And um, these sentient Titans can uh, get Titan powers uh, by eating the previous sentient Titan. So there's the Colossal Titan, the Armor Titan, the Jaw Titan. Aaron is one of them. The Attack Titan. Uh, and, you know, there's five others that... Uh, Humor Titan, know. Beast Titan, Card yeah. Titan. We yeah. love the Card Titan. Yeah. Card Titan rips. We love the, we love the Card Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, so upon learning this, uh, Aaron uh, 
Aaron goes nuts. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron like vows revenge against the world uh, for doing this to his people, and it's actually um, so. So the Eldians in the world around them are an oppressed class of people. Uh, so oppressed because in the past, apparently, they had used their Titan powers to run amok and destroy the world. And then it got to uh, a royal called King Fritz, who was so ashamed by what he did that he basically consigned the Eldians to this island called Paradise Island. And the Eldians who were left in the mainland uh, became second-class citizens because of their associated history. Um, and so... Uh, uh, and it turns out that the Colossal Titan and the Armored Titan were were uh, members of this society. They are Eldians who were militarized against Paradise Island because the outside world is still trying to destroy the Eldians because they see them as a disease. So, And you could kind of describe the Titans, I would say, in a more simpler real-world term as, like, nukes. Like, yeah. like, so, like, there is this island of this run race who originated and invented the nukes, but yeah. now some of the other countries have a nuke or two, yeah. uh, <laughs> and everyone is kind of unsure of, like, that power stasis, yeah. like, that, and, like, where everyone stands there. Yeah, and it's so weird because it combines nukes with biopolitics in this mm -hmm. very strange, like, I, I think it's super interesting. I think that, you know, even no matter what you think of the author, like, the stuff, the connections that he makes are pretty, they make you think. So, um, now Aaron is locked in this battle against the outside world. Uh, remind me of the nation, the big nation Marley. that he's fighting. Marley. Marley, Marley. Yeah. Um, no, I thought that was a person. No, 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 it's a nation. Wikipedia. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's, it's a weird name for a country. It's like yeah. calling that country Eric. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, hey, there is a country called Chad. So yeah, I know. He's, as he's I true. said that. <laughs> um, so the fourth season is all about Aaron's war. Aaron has effectively become uh, the military leader and leads a faction called the Jaegerists. I guess this doesn't come till much later because. Um, in the beginning, uh, it's it's the Eldian political class that is in favor of war against the Marleans. There's but, a lot of political complications, certainly. Yeah. But I think the big question to this season uh, for everyone who lives on the island is what do we do in this scenario where a lot of the world considers us monsters that need to be destroyed and everyone has very different political beliefs on how they should do that. Some people believe that they should kill all their enemies. Some people believe in creating some sort of truce. And all of that kind of falls apart into chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because season four is cool because it's starts with this like perspective switch where you follow a bunch of Marley and youths yes. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for a which, while and you see what fucked the audience it like was a fucking electric shock to the audience because it's yeah. like wait where are my characters I care about you're forcing me to care about the people on the other side of the war this is so narratively disconcerting for me as an audience member but that's the whole point of the show actually yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah it's the, it's the historiography stuff well in which we'll get into more in a second yeah. but like you, you see it from their perspective, and then that season sort of culminates in Aaron. It turning out that Aaron and the Beast Titan Zeke are, are brothers, uh, or mm -hmm. half-brothers. And then Aaron is ostensibly supporting Zeke in his uh, grand euthanasia plan to yeah. use the Founding Titan's power to make sure that no Eldians can ever have a baby ever again. Yeah. Um, so there's one route where it's like one, so again, like one character, a lot of characters want to do different things. 
what Zeke wants to do this sort of like self annihilation like path. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we discover that Aaron wants to do uh, a path where he's going to kill everyone except the Eldians, mm -hmm. and then other people are struggling to find the third way. Yeah, and then these political tensions they mount and they mount, and because Aaron receives just the most power by happenstance, just by luck, which is like another another thing that the show is about, how just things just happen. And, and well, it's not by luck, get... actually. As we discover in this season, he does it of his own volition, even things in the past before he was born. Or before oh, yeah, he... uh, yeah, but it's there are questions of still, who is in control? Is it Aaron? Is it the past? Is it everyone in the past that's motivating him to do it? It's yeah. like you never know who's in control, actually, and that's very much part of the show. So it yeah, escalates to where the anime stops is... Um, where, where it just stopped was Aaron has decided to do the rumbling, which means that he's crumbling the walls. Uh, he's, cr he's crumbling the walls of Paradise Island down, and in the walls are colossal titans. Hundreds and hundreds of colossal titans, gigantic beasts which have the powers of, you know, forget one nuke, a million nukes. You and know, apparently these are... they can swim, which was yeah. a very <laughs> funny image, and I tried not to laugh. I tried to keep it serious <laughs> while they were swimming. The yeah, are they like hollow them... inside? <laughs> the only reason them swimming works is that when they heat up the water and boil the people in that boat alive, and then yeah. you're like, okay, now this feels scary, but at first it's just sort of like, this is so stupid yeah it, it, it was an amazing image uh, i mean that that is the tension with titans though because they look stupid but it's that stupid lookingness that also makes them uncanny and oh, terrifying it's, it's, as well it, exactly and in i don't know if anyone here has seen the live action japanese attack on titan movie uh have any has anyone here seen i have that? not seen that i have not seen that okay well they really fucked up the titans in that because <laughs> because essentially what they did was as opposed to like make like weird creepy like humanoid creatures they just like did a Craigslist casting for like middle-aged Japanese men and women and then just <laughs> took their clothes off and had them stand in front of a green screen. So it just looks like the lady at the supermarket naked. <laughs> just like yeah. just like in a, it just like eating people. And it's the worst thing I've ever seen. That sounds pretty good. I might have to see that actually. <laughs> it's uh, I, yeah. I recommend. High recommend. Um but so, so that's what we're talking about. That was we we just basically completed to the plot up to where the anime ends. Um, mm -hmm. I've read the manga. I know how the manga ends. It's that super polarizing. So uh, I know that's kind of a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler because it's like you'll you'll take what it's you yeah. Won't. So what I've heard about the ending, and me and Lux have not read the manga, so we don't know the full ending. We are yeah. anime watchers. Um, what I hear is that. Isayama tried to cram in a very long message very shortly, and that potentially could have spent even more time on the ending, and that it feels like cramped in terms of its ideology and how much he tried to fit in there at the end. But, I used to think yeah. that, okay. but now after letting it stew for a while, I think it's actually brilliant. I think it actually ended perfectly. Okay, and interesting. And I think the reason why people don't know what to make of it is because the, what Attack on Titan represents is something very, very rare to me. You, you guys could have a totally different opinion. But what it is, is it's a critique of right-wing politics by a guy who is sympathetic to them. Mm. Um, 
And the only other piece of media I can think that's similar to that is John Milius's Rome, you know, mm-hmm. sure. um, and where which also has, you know, like a lot of our overarching themes of historiography and friend enemy distinction and stuff like that. So that's that's what we're going to go into now is the major themes of Attack on Titan. And so uh, first off, I've got written down is who controls history, historiography. What's this all about? Uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, well, that is like, especially in seasons sort of three and four in particular, but throughout the whole show, this is like a really central idea just because you constantly, like, so a, a big part we can get into in the, in the plot outline in season three is, or is the end of season two. I can't fucking remember because it all blurs together. They're and like to the watch. same season to me, yeah. Yeah, also, like, my experience with the show also is I watched it all as it came out, but also I keep having to rewatch it for work, and I have to rewatch it for work in, like, super fast mode, or I watch all the episodes in, like, three days. So I have very... The seasonal distinction is very much lost on me at this point, but at one point, sort of when, when Aaron has to go into the weird ritual cave That's and learn three. about... Yeah. yeah, and learn about the past, what we learn is that, like, various people throughout time have created versions of the past and made people forget things and are literally erased events from people's psyches and have rewritten history Mm -hmm. to maintain a status quo that makes sense. And that's like a thing that people talk about now, myself included, is this idea that like history as it's mainstream produced as it's like consent as it's like mainstream production represents itself. It's it's written by the winners. Not just written by the winners, but written to because it's, it's not always written by the people who won the war, but it gets rewritten by new winners over time, right? So, like, for instance, a lot of the narrative of uh, 40s, 50s America used to be this, like, united, super strong, unified force. And that was the way that 1940s, 50s Americans depicted it and then used that tie into the Cold War and whatnot. And after the Cold War, it is suddenly nowadays depicted very much as a time of total freedom and economic, like, movement and liberty, which was just absolutely not the case, right? That was, like, mm-hmm. a, a peak of, that was sort of high union density, labor regulations, uh, workers, yeah. work organizations, etc. So the way that history isn't just written by the winners of, like, a given war, but rewritten and rewritten and rewritten to justify the most power-beneficial status quo possible is a really interesting thing within Attack on Titan because... There haven't been major conflicts really since the initial giant conflict. Yeah. And the the role of the world, both in the way Marley talks about Paradise Island and the way people in Paradise Island talk about themselves, changes over that time and is rewritten and re-erased and reconstructed. Um, uh, it's very interesting and it's very effective, I think, I, as far I would, as like... I, I would even go a little farther that, like, there is that history element and, and sort of, in terms of more Attack on Titan specifics, like, a lot of the show... Is like so there are certain mysteries that the show does spend time uncovering, but I think the show makes the larger point that despite all of these histories, the people now in the present are human and deserving of empathy, and and I think that like people do wrongs, certain people did bad things in the past. The Eldians have done bad things in the past. The Marlins have done bad things in the past. And they're all telling different stories. And at the end of the day, like, all that stuff is irrelevant because the people now, like, deserve empathy and love and there needs to be a new path forward, I think. And so, like, caring super much, like, the caring about history, like, to a certain extent, like, they're almost saying their history should, you know, be respected, but we can't b- be trapped in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, they're, they're right. And they're saying in particular that 
that history changes in a way to make that trap like inescapable or difficult to escape. That history adapts in a way that makes it so that it justifies the world that people are in. Um, and which makes breaking out of those cycles increasingly difficult. And I think yeah, that's I mean, like a really interesting observation, especially paired with this first recent season where they showed us like the origin of the Titans and the origin of the Eldians where a blind girl touches a worm in a pool yeah, and yeah. turns into a Titan and yeah. then becomes a machine of war. Yeah. And it's very clear almost immediately right from that that all the narrativization of the Titans as these like willfully violent Devil, entities devils are angels that were given by some god or anything no none of that or like or like war leaders independently on their own even that isn't real like they were manipulated and abused people whose powers were mm -hmm. used as weapons blah 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 and so all of the historical accounts we know to be bullshit mm -hmm. but and this is i think why I push back on the characterization of the show as a fascist text. I don't really give a shit if the guy who wrote it's a fascist or not. Mm -hmm. But I push back on the show being a fascist text largely because so much of it is dedicated to these constructed histories put people in these loops of violence and these mm -hmm. violence loops always benefit an empowered class. Yeah. And that the actual mechanism by which uh, freedom of any real meaningful kind exists is to escape these violent loops. And, yeah. and there's and that, even a sense of like that the violent loops, almost like capitalism, cannot go forever. And that these violent loops d will not loop forever, but into an ultimate destruction of all humanity. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. like, you know, like capitalism can't keep like going profit, 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 up, 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 up every year. Like it, there is a ceiling to all this. Like the, yeah. the bubble is going to burst, like the weight is going to give out. Mm -hmm. and, and just like that with this like violent system of imperialism like you can't like there can't just you can't it can't get going forever because eventually the whole world's going to get nuked yeah or yeah yeah just continuing to exist in a world of nukes which are emblematic of the violent imperialism of the, of the world there's a ceiling to this you're we're all going to die because of it one day eventually i think it's i think what it's also good is how people use these stories even if they know them to be false to justify what they want to do emotionally to because uh, totally. what Aaron is driven more than by anything else is a feeling, not by anything rational. And he even like he even sort of there's this great speech. He's talking to Reiner, the guy that betrayed him from Marley, one of one of the one of the Titan uh, Capos. A character from... that many people don't like, but I think Reiner is the. Rules. What are you talking about? Reiner's, Reiner's the like best a, fucking character yeah. in the series. He's people complain, so complain about Reiner so much on internet. I, the internet like hates the best characters. They, they don't like Gabby or, or yeah. Uh, the internet uh, doesn't like Gabby Reiner. or Ryder, and it's crazy to me. I mean, Gabby crazy. has like the three sixty no scope god ability. So. Yeah, she's a propagandized <laughs> child. She's that's amazing. I don't a she, propagandized child with like a like if this were baseball, she'd have eighties across the board and like aim, gunpowder, no, no, speed. She's Steven. She's she she's the she, Dave Steve of propagandized fascist. Children. She's doing like hundred K tourneys in CSGO, like if it's today. Like she's <laughs> yeah. she's Loki cracked at it. Yeah. She's phase clan. She's phase yeah. clan. She's absolutely phase clan. Yeah, phase uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um yeah. Yeah, history and I think um so we get to the paths, right? Mm -hmm. And the paths are these um things that connect all titans so the original titan emir basically controls all the eldians from the past but then it's sort of uncertain if she's controlling them or if it's more this dialogue between all the eldians and her that creates this sort of driving force of narrative and that's you know another another big question that the show asks and i think is very interested in uh, is what drives somebody to commit genocide you mm. know 
what dry what dry what makes a man start fires but on the largest scale um and i think what isayama presents is this sort of idea that people are are driven by this arc of history this fatalistic art of his arc of history that tells you that there is an existential threat to you and there is no way to solve it other than by eliminating that existential threat you can't reason with it isayama has even said that his inspiration for Attack on Titan is he was like working in a uh, as a, like a barista or something, and he got into a fight with somebody who was much larger than him. Yeah, it's like a and, drunk guy. Yeah, and he was like, oh yeah, that fear of he was a naked fight. Titan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But a, fighting a, with a, a, a fourteen foot naked guy walked into the Izakaya where yeah. he worked. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, peek, peeking over like a small ledge, just like the yeah. colossal Titan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, something you can't reason with. Or mm-hmm. you get it in your head from the arc of history that this is something that can't be reasoned with. You have to take it out. And sort of that the escalating nature of that idea and how it self-perpetuates through this through this grinding, unstoppable wheel of history. Mm-hmm. So this this is actually a segue. I, I mean, Griffin will testify that almost anything about Attack on Titan is a segue to who I think is the most important Attack on Titan character. But I think this is a good one. <laughs> Which is Gabby's dad. Sasha's dad. Oh, Sasha's, Sasha's dad. dad. Sorry, Sasha's yeah. dad. Yeah, Sasha's dad. So Sasha, for those who don't know, uh, um, is like the sort of heart of the the Jaeger Scout team. Like Aaron Stevens and the Jaegers. She's like she's comic relief as well. Like from the dire in the direness of season one. Like one of the only laugh lines is like Sasha's like trying to eat a potato like at the military lineup, uh, and like is always trying to eat in really dire situations. And frankly, that energy was really necessary. Yeah, she's like necessary comic relief early on, and then becomes sort of like the heart of the team in terms of like the only like optimist or one who like sees the. Like, you know, when they're all, like, in the woods and all their friends are dead and they're, yeah. like, covered in shit and blood. She's like, but when we get home, we'll have soup. And then they're yeah. all, like, and they're all, like, hooray. And so in she a different a manga, she's the protagonist because she's a guileless simpleton. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Absolutely. So she has a dad um, who we meet occasionally. And every time we meet him, he has, like, wisdom about the world. And he talks about the world in terms of a forest and a farm and nature. Um, and... The, his final, like, at least so far in the anime, his final, like, big moment is, um, like, Gabby tries to stab a member of his family while she's, like, undercover as a, as a person on Paradise Island, and they're, like, just are trying to decide what to do about it, and he basically is like, look, all these children are being raised and let out into the dark woods and the dark woods are full of monsters and they get lost in these dark woods and start to think that like going in deeper into the darkness is like the direction to go as opposed to towards the light and blah, blah, blah. And it's very clearly a metaphor for like these kids are born into this world of militarism and violence. And immediately that worldview colors what they think is good and bad and what they should do. Mm -hmm. And it takes them more and deeper into it as they live their lives and that they get more and more lost, and then they just replicate this pattern onto eternity. And to double onto that, Reiner has a quote that I think does this in, like, one line. He Mm -hmm. says, when I went to the island, I thought I would see monsters. All that was there was people. And I think that, like, that that line is the whole thing right there. Yeah, which leads to the other big theme, which I learned from your Wisecrack video, which is the friend-enemy distinction, uh, the done... uh, 
with, uh, coined by Nazi philosopher Carl Schmidt. Yeah, let's let's talk about Carl Schmidt, a, yeah. a, a bad a bad man, bad dude. <laughs> uh, but you know, bad dudes can produce thought provoking yeah. uh, pieces Schmidt's, of literature. Schmidt is or, extremely interesting. Or sons with incredible fast food franchises. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, Carl's Jr. is Carl yeah, Schmidt. Carl Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I mean, it, it does get into that a little bit, just in terms of like the way that. Well, that, that's, like, social formation stuff, which also plays into this, right? That, like, the creation of friends and enemies justifies, like, the creation of the state, the in-groups, out-groups, the, like, the mobilization of violence. And that's used to create this sort of cycle of, of militarism. And so to get back, to, to, to touch back to the arc of history thing, what Sasha's dad is saying, what Reiner's getting at in that sequence, what a lot of the ways in which the show pushes back on Schmidt are kind of getting towards is this idea that the arc of history is an acting force that, like, manipulates and forces people towards actions, but that it's not necessarily inescapable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, the goal, like, the ethical goal of, like, broad movements and, like, heroes and, like, people who are good is to fight to, like, break that pattern or, like, to escape that pattern. And that's the broad thesis of this last part, two season finale, is, like, there's this moment where, I guess, all the characters can just sit back and watch the nuclear holocaust go off. But mm-hmm. then characters from every side of the war uh, band together to try to do a suicide run to try and stop this. Yeah, yeah they try um, to Star Fox it. But there's a question. Is this Aaron's plan as well? Are they in control? Did he foresee this as well? That's the tough part because they've introduced this mechanic where, and it's kind of hard to explain on just a podcast, but like he has like a time travel mechanic where he can kind of loosely see what's happened in the past, present, and future, but only in flashes. Um, And I think ultimately what stuff like this in anime usually means is like the distinction between like fate and free will to a certain extent. Like, mm-hmm. are are these are are we destined to li- to like be to, to nuke each other, or is there a slim chance that we can do the impossible and do something different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that also this is why I wish this is why the specifics of the ending are are important to me. Is that like, what does the world look like after? Because I, I I have a vague sense of how it kind of has to end. Mm-hmm. Um, based on sort of how stories work. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. the specifics I, of what the end state of the world is after that is very interesting to me, because in a world where everyone's still at war, then it sort of feels like <clears throat> uh, that couldn't have been, been his plan. But in a world where everyone sort of, they figure their shit out somehow, mm-hmm. then it feels like that could be his plan, but even that feels dubious to me, because like... Uh, because okay, so I was just, I just a second ago mentioned like the friend enemy stuff in terms of like social formations, like cities and like, countries, whatever. Aaron also uses it as an individual case of identity formation, where he creates an identity of having to destroy Titans for a very long time, and then when it turns out Titans isn't so bad and Marleyans is bad, it becomes I have to destroy everyone who's not Titans. Yeah. Um, and his identity eventually becomes constituted almost entirely on his desire to destroy and his willingness to do so. Um, which makes it hard to really think about a world where his end game isn't like a total ransacking of everything. Here's what I will say. And what gets me into one of the four things that I wanted to, the fourth theme uh, that uh, comes throughout (laughs) is the subversion of shonen manga arcs, where it takes this protagonist character 
uh, from a shonen arc and imbues him with uh, the qualities of other shonen protagonists. You know, he's not like... Well, actually, Eren is a bit more bellicose and angry than a lot of... He's more like a Vegeta than a Goku. Well, he's kind uh, of... Uh, I think a good comp for him is a Yusuke Urameshi from Yu Yu Hakusho. He's yeah, kind of yeah. a kind of a punchy jerk off, but ultimately uh, pursues good things. Except they obviously fuck with that a lot with Aaron. Or yeah, he's a serious young man. Maybe also like Karapika from uh, Hunter Hunter, Hunter as Hunter. well. Oh God, we love Karapika. Who doesn't? Oh, Karapika. Oh, Mikorazan. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so one of the big consistent themes of Shonen is I'm gonna save my friends. You know, we were talking about well, Kingdom Hearts. That friendship, uh, my, my friends are my power. Yeah, my friends are my power. Exactly. Um, and essentially, uh, that's what Attack on Titan is all about. Aaron is trying to save his friends, and would you do that at any cost? Is the thing that uh, is the thing that it asks. I, I don't even think he's trying to save his friends anymore. I think that, like from the beginning, from the very first line of the series, he says that he feels like he's in a cage, mm. and that like he'll do anything to not feel like he's in a cage anymore. And to me, that's mm -hmm. like a very individual desire. Like I don't even think he's doing it for anyone else at this point except himself. Uh, that's also such a great theme that recurs throughout is the meaning of freedom and how freedom is just totally contextual. Because mm -hmm. you get to the end of Paradise Island and there's just ocean. There's just more stuff. There's no know? more titans left and they've yeah. made it all the way to the ocean. But what's out there? There's there's more enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah like what was the theme again for this one? Uh, was, what do you mean? He was, the, about the, he was talking about the shonen, the shonen anime the shonen arcs and, and, and the arcs. inversion of the shonen anime yeah. arcs. Yeah. Um, or how, yeah. like, the inversion of power creep as well, how usually you're happy when a character has power creep in a show, but in this show it's like, no! No, don't don't have that happen. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, Aaron has a hammer now? This is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, this is terrible. Um, well, I think what... The season four, and on, this even started to happen for me in season three down in the cave. Like, there's this sequence where, like, it the the all the all of what's his face, what was Levi's mentor's name? That weird guy, oh, uh, Kenny Kenny Ackerman. So Kenny, Ken Kenny Ackerman. <laughs> yeah, what a Kenny great Ackerman. He's down there in the ice cave with with like his female like sidekick, and then like a bunch of guys, and they're like mm -hmm. barricading the door, and like. It was the first time where, like, I was like, I don't know, like, I don't want any of these people to die because, like, they don't, no one seems like a bad person here. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, like, then all of season four is that. Like, like when all these battles are going down, you're, like, not really sure who you want to win. You just find it tragic, mm -hmm. um, like, on either way. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that was something that I thought is really powerful that you don't see enough um, in action and in, 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 in shown in general. Usually it's you really want the hero to win and it seems impossible. But now the impossibility seems to be like peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even Gabby literally gets like a classic shonen sort of character start, mm -hmm. except it's inverted to instead of like instead of like someone kills someone she cares about she kills someone she shouldn't have yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. um and then it has to go through like the same kind of arc of of growth and like learning and power and friend stuff but like it starts off from like the darkest possible zone like mm -hmm. instead of it's like demon slayer where like tanjiro's family gets killed and he's like i gotta get stronger it's like she kills someone and is like oh no 
Yeah, I should, like I shot that lady right in the damn tummy. <laughs> um, and and, it, and it's such a fascinating show because you know I love and I'm like so fucking hyped to be on this podcast where we can talk about this shit. But I'm fully aware that at least seventy five percent of the audience of Attack on Titan is just watching it for the action sequences oh, and yeah. like the cool plot twist and is like not cognizant at all of like the greater message that's going on here. Yeah, um, it's a very smart. It's a surprisingly smart show. Um, yeah. And before we get into the controversy over it, Stephen, I wanted to ask you: You've only watched, you're an AOT novice. Mm-hmm. Watched two episodes. What, what were your impressions just from watching the initial two episodes? Um, well for the first two episodes i'm like oh man another weak little boy with daddy issues (laughs) uh because like it seems like every anime there's like a weak little boy with daddy issues like you're right we need to write something one piece what if we do lux what if we write something that's a strong guy with a mommy issue Ooh. That's what we need. Yeah, Ooh. it's a big strong. It's a big strong guy, and he goes uh, from door to door trying to find his mom. Yeah, <laughs> I think his. But many, so but many houses are full of traps. I'm so There's sorry, Stephen. The same mom as like, it's like the same. Every shonen main character has the same mom, which is also very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's kind of she's kind of like Officer Jenny in Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A nameless brown haired woman. Yeah, um, but. I don't know. My impressions from just like what I saw and reading about it is that something that isn't mentioned is like the Titans are being controlled by humans, right? Kind of. They're some of them. basically some of them? being they're kind of being controlled by Ymir, but also there's sort of like a feedback loop between the Titans and Ymir. The, well, the, let me clarify that. There's mindless Titan. There's two classes. There's okay. the mindless Titans that are just like once they're Titans, they're forces of nature basically. Mm-hmm. And then there are the nine sentient demigod Titans, and those people do have motivations that are yeah. But they're not. There is there like a. They are a human who becomes a titan. It's yeah, not they're like, they're like yeah, yeah. They like Gundam into it. They're like a human that transforms into okay. it. Yeah, they're so bio that's, Gundams. That's that was sort of where I was going. It kind of reminds me of like mechs in a in a way. It is. It's mm-hmm. a mech show, but with a with a bio element. And 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 to be honest, like sort of in. This is something I'd love to talk about, but it is playing on the anti-Semitic trope of Jews can turn into monsters. Yeah, like, yeah. like like Jews have big scary claws and scary jaws and like uh, like all those scary you know all those tropes. Well, um, it's the, it's, the specific fucking anti-Semitism trope. Welcome to my area of expertise. Lux's <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, dad uh, is a rabbi for anybody. Yeah, that's true. That. <laughs> a, a rabbi and a nerd. Um, <laughs> Huge gamer. Big gamer, big comics guy. The gaming um, rabbi. <laughs> he really is. Uh, he's been on Game Boys. Uh, shouts out to, to Rabbi Jack. But the thing is, like, kind of blood libel stuff, right? Cause it's all about, like, they eat people. They, like, eat their yeah. blood. Mm-hmm. They eat their spinal fluid. Yeah, the that, jaw titan like, especially looks like a protocols of the Elders of Zion caricature. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And, like, they also very, very much have this, like, the the broad fear of like the broad fear of them taking over the world from in an inexplicable way. The part where mm-hmm. it falls apart obviously is like the Jews take over the world thing is like we trick you guys into just giving us all the stuff with our like wily devil ways. Yeah, yeah, we don't. And in we, Attack on Titan, it's like they uh, they do it with pure punch power. And I do want to get into that, but what Stephen, what were you saying uh, about about what now about the you mechs? Were, yeah, yeah, you were just yeah. asking about them. Well, 
that was just a connection I saw. I didn't have really much more to go on because I haven't even gotten to that part in the show. Um, well, I think I, the mech stuff is very canny, though. It was interesting because I, I, when you said that it's like a bio-mech, that's what I initially was thinking. I was like, are they bio-mechs? Is there a little guy inside them pulling on the flesh and the bones? There's a little man it... in their ass controlling <laughs> Yes, the guy that crawled up in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, then as I read a little further, I was like, okay, no, they, they get a, like an injection of some kind of special serum, and then mm-hmm. they become the Titan. How do they transform out? How do they get back? Human. It's really cool how oh uh, they they just uh, they pop out of they the steam. neck like a yeah yeah oh they, they, they're in the nape of the neck the humans okay. are located they're in the nape in of the, the neck so the that's neck. why they every, you when you kill titans you have to slice their their nape but of course a lot of the Debbie god ones can like harden their necks and protect their necks and well stuff. that answers yeah. another question of mine which is why they were using swords sometimes because I was yes. like why why they- well, one thing that's super interesting is is like because the island got their mem- like basically their whole history and memories wiped, they're like technologically like backwards okay. and like are slowly adding technology, whereas like the outside world already has like cannons and guns. And like yeah. that stuff does play in interesting ways in the show too. With yeah. like certain people like have not fought against like a real army before and just get like destroyed. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Or like so. see a Zeppelin and just lose their fucking yeah. minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also like a special crystal on the island that allows them to do the ODM gear. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, they have a re- they have a resource that's like oil, but it's like for their ODM gear. Yeah, it's very funny, but that's also valuable, and that also comes into play. But yeah. it's it is like a mech anime too, because mech animes right from Gundam are all about you know colonies in the mainland fighting. It's all about wars totally. between these displaced people. So I think mm-hmm. you know it owes oh, an obvious debt to uh, to Gundam especially. Totally. Um. I think that's where we can get into the controversy attack. Yes, we've talked about. Let's a, go. Are Eldians Jews? Are they Jews? Kinda, not really. They they use a lot of the iconography of the Jewish oppression. For instance, Eldians in Marley have star shaped armbands, which they have yes. to wear to signify them as Eldians. Um, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Lux just probably disconnected, but he'll probably he'll be, be back. back. So just he'll keep rolling. And We're I, just going to keep rolling. And, and this means that I get to now be the Jewish perspective. <laughs> exactly. You are the Jew. You are. You get the like, Jew hat. Just like a, just You're like wearing a Titan, the I've, I've aided Lux and absorbed his power. <laughs> uh, I'm now like naked and kind of balding. Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of philosophy references. You have a lot of Lacan references that you can just pull out offhand. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, so, yeah, uh, Isayama definitely uses, and Isayama seems like a guy, if he's not a fascist, which he probably is not, like, a hardcore, I have no idea, who cares? Sure. Um, But he's definitely a student of military history and a guy that likes, uh, definitely likes the uniforms of the Nazis, you know, how some people are fascinated by that. Let's let's start there. Um, Likes the uniforms. Uh, I think that ultimately a big thing about... Uh, bad faith critiques of the show, and not saying yours is bad faith, but the ones that I see that are bad faith about not only this show, but really any media in America right now is that I think as audiences, we have a really hard time like confusing 
representation for endorsement. Like mm -hmm. if I see this in a show, that means the creator is an en is endorsing it because yeah. he's he's representing a TV show. We saw this with Game of Thrones with rape. People were like, "Why do the Game of Thrones guys love rape?" It's like, well, rape was a big part of medieval uh, social life for women. Yeah. And to like erase that is to like erase the realities and struggles of what women in medieval ages felt. But showing Love that in the show is like, oh, we can't do that. Yeah. Um, well, so like the Nazi uniforms is like, that's probably not. But my dad, who's not a fan of the Nazis, he's conservative, but he's oh no fan of the Nazis. Him definitely mm -hmm. likes constructing little Rommel tanks. And, you know, <laughs> he's one of those. He seems like one of those guys who just has that. He. Uh, is very inspired by the aesthetic of military history right. you know not just not just because uh, I, yeah. I think you could also see a lot of influence of like the american military in the totally. marlands as well but my main, um, my main point is that if is that you can tell a story about fascism without being a fascist or whatever mm -hmm. or without being or without it coming off as pro-fascist it's like watching like schindler's list and being like what's up with spielberg it's like <laughs> man is like, this guy like the, the, i've seen and there's all these nazi uniforms like everywhere in schindler's list like what do you think spielberg was was is he yeah. what, what's going on in his brain i think like, you're right like, this is like a general trap of media literacy nowadays yeah. It's a trap of media literacy, and I think it's disappointing because ultimately, outside of Attack on Titan, I think that a lot of Americans who are liberal or like want social justice feel like it's impossible in America, so the only things that they can get any traction on is the little stuff they consume, is their yeah. arts and media, because they can tweet at people, they can potentially get someone canceled or fired. Um, and that seems to be the only way to have any kind of political expression or any feeling like you accomplish something. So yeah. as opposed to like activism, protest, or doing anything in the real world, like the only thing that we feel like we can get our political expressive juice out of is uh, dictating like what's right or what's wrong in shows. And unfortunately that's spilled out into this like horrible thing where people are not even watching content, not even watching shows and making insanely large judgments about them. Yeah, I think this has happened with the I see lots of people dismissing it outright as just fascist propaganda because they read a think piece or two when it's, it's much, much more than that. It's it's yeah. not, and it's not even really propaganda. But there is some evidence to suggest that Isayama is kind of a right-wing guy, and it might be a bit of a Japanese nationalist. But there's so many critiques of Japanese nationalism within Attack on, so many what seems like obvious critiques of Japanese nationalism in AOT that I don't think he's like fully, you know, fascist blackpilled or anything. I think he's probably a guy that was raised with um, conservative views about Japan and their role totally. in World War II. I actually and, think that in season one, he was more right wing than by the end of the show. Like, yeah. like I mean, to when he was writing the manga, like I, I think that like he not, I think he discovered stuff about his own humanity when writing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I see what we are talking about now. I'm back <laughs> from having an internet problem. <laughs> Um, I, uh, but I, I think that like his politics probably suck. Um, everything I've read about him and things he said seems like they suck. I don't, I don't think you go around just being like the Nanking massacre wasn't that big a deal if you're not like a kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. But like that doesn't preclude him from writing about, um, you know, about alternate things, right? Like, for instance, one of the primary arguments people make about why Attack on Titan's fascist when they make arguments that are more deep than 
you know, uh, it, it, it have concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the deeper arguments is that the people who know what to do, the people who make the right choices are always the army guys. Uh, but that's not true at all. <laughs> they frequently make the wrong choices. Yeah, but also, it, that's one of the arguments is, A, all the characters is army guys, so everyone who's right is army guys, but also everyone who's wrong is army guys, <laughs> so this is a silly thing. Yeah. But the other sort of thing about that is that's, that, while that, that's like to some degree true, uh, right, because, I mean, some of the worst guys, your Rob Rices, et cetera, are non-army guys, Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to the degree that's true, but then the, what's the way to put this? Like, depending on how the end, like what the end state looks like, it's very easy to see this whole thing as being critical of just <clears throat> militarism as an institution. Like the fact that all these people are stuck in this military framework is like a fundamental, like epistemological trap for like basically all of them. And mm-hmm. also this is the part where me and Lux differ, where Lux says that he has to kind of wait to see how it shakes out. I don't have to wait. Um, I think that like so much track has been laid on this road, especially in the final season, where pretty much every character except Aaron has like rejected the path mm-hmm. of fascism. Yeah, so it's but like the, you can't the do thing all is, that work and then be like, actually, JK, LOL. But yeah. no, just, because you they absolutely could, though, right? Because what if the ending is at like what Alex said, like Aaron saw all this coming all along, Mikasa and Armin kill him. And because they kill him after he's done all this stuff, the world is unified into, like, this core central government. And the idea becomes, look, you just have to do one big violence to create a fascism, and then fascism start, stops the militaristic cycle. It's, like, that uh, is, that it's is, way more ambiguous than that. That's what I'm going to say. It's sure. The ending I mean, is, it, yeah. the ending like is said, pretty fucking ambiguous, which is what I think is its strength, actually. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I believe that. But I'm just saying that that's why I say I need to wait for the end because, like, I guess there you are, prove that there is a way to make it fashion. There, 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 there is. There, yeah. there <laughs> are <laughs> outcomes that are not super far off from what the plot has already done that could end in a way well, that, like, colors my, everything differently. My point is, is that, like, every character has had a speech about why they don't like it at this point. And it's, like, be really weird to watch the show and still be on Aaron's side, like, after all the work they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another... Another theme of the show that we didn't get into when we were talking about the themes is romantic love is weirdly like a big or like love in general is like a huge part of the show and part of like um, a a sort of a force that works in tandem with that sort of uh, grinding arc of violence because people do violence out of love. That is, you know, Mikasa defends Eren out of love. You know, Emir defends Historia out of love. And uh, even the original Emir, all of this violence is in service of her children. So there's this idea that, uh, and it's something that's mentioned early on when Mikasa sees uh, a, an insect eating a, another insect, where she, but comments on how the world is cruel, but also very beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's sort of like, Within this violence, there is something creative and sort of good feeling about engaging in this violence, but it sort of becomes strange and perverted over time. That tension between cruelty and beauty that you experience when when you're trapped within this cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that just reminds me so much, and this is like the uh, the somewhat obvious parallel to draw if you're a certain type of dork. Um, is like there are ways in which this story is definitely like reminiscent of sort of Yuki Omishima stuff. 
mm. uh, Yukimo Mishima being like one of the best authors to ever do the damn thing, but also an absolute fucking psycho in terms yeah, of yeah, his yeah. politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, famously uh, tried to take over the Japanese government with two a couple of his friends and a katana. Um and then committed seppuku in the office of the prime minister. Um, yeah. Also, maybe the most physically fit man to have ever existed. Yeah. Also, apparently, uh, had someone RP doing seppuku to him at a brothel and then busted a f- freaking nut. Oh, oh, he rules. Gay icon Mishima. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But um, his books are really incredible. And this tension of beauty and violence is, like, so present in there. And he's also a very right-wing Japanese nationalist guy. And I do kind of... That's where it gets kind of interesting is this idea that there's a distinction, like, there is such a thing as, like, a like a well-meaning fascism. I don't think it, like, exists actually in a material sense mm-hmm. or is possible. But there is this idea of, like, if the right noble people have control of everything, we can prevent all the violence from ever happening yeah. and everyone will have a good life and it will be peaceful. Um, and I do kind of think that one thing that I that I find interesting about both of them is that, like, that's never how it works in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, those people always kind of fail. And I think that that's interesting, especially in the context of Attack on Titan, where it's like people, we were saying, call it a fascist text. But like, like Griffin was saying, the people who aspire towards this kind of fascist totalizing peace always end up kind of eating shit. Yeah. Eating shit. Yeah. Um, like, you know. And are, and are I mean, explicitly cast as villains. Yeah. Like, I th- yeah. Yeah, I think even if both authors are right wing, I think their abilities of artists have allowed them to see the limit of their views. And that's yeah. sort of what it's all about. Or see, and or I see th- past them, like yeah, see yeah. past them, even if they can't get out of them, but to like see past them. It's a, it is a fascinating thing in that way. I, another thing like that uh, that reminds me of it is like uh, the Dark Knight Returns, which is you know a right wing text made Told. by a right wing guy that's uh, exploring the limits. You of- mean rises? Yeah, uh, no, yeah. Returns, the, returns the original. The the comic book. The Frank oh, Miller, sorry, you know, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. he's he's an old old Batman fights young the, punks. Because the Dark Knight Rises is a right wing thing about how Occupy Wall Street was annoying. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises fucking rules. The movie's <laughs> awesome. It's so fucking stupid. I love it. Yeah, yeah. The court scene is so good. The yeah. court scene is great. Yeah. And Tom Hardy, you know, the Bane voice outlasted that movie. So it's still hot. Yeah, it's still hot. What do you think Attack on Titan is Jews? <laughs> Are they Jews in Attack on Titan? No, um, but, okay, so here's another thing that I was cracking around. Um, so I was mentioning this to Lux earlier on the Discord. It's funny how when you get to the geography of Paradise Island, where all the Eldians are exiled, it's Madagascar, and mm-hmm. Hitler's original plan was to send the Jews to Madagascar. Yes. Uh, so that's like one clue. It's probably nothing. It's probably tenuous. Which is also what that animated movie was about. <laughs> yes, that's what yeah. that's what Madagascar was about. Uh, <laughs> that's who the lemurs are. That's who the lemurs are. The le- that, they're voiced that's, by Sasha well, Baron Cohen. Cohen. Our best like Jew. To, yeah. We like to move it, move it. The Jews. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also think in sort of this sort of island population that is mm-hmm. beset on all sides... I feel yes. like Isayama is weirdly drawing this parallel almost between Israel and Japan. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, it's weird. It's weird because it's like, yeah, like there's so many different histories, and it's like you, you're like your right wing ideology can kind of be from different eras or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like 
Israel now is like a huge boo like I mean, it's popular on both sides of the American spectrum, but like right wing people fucking love it. And Israel mm -hmm. is like a right wing state. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's an ethno nationalist hell zone. Uh, so it's, it's impossible. It's impossible not to draw all those things. I think what's interesting is like there's there's like so many kind of like one to ones from different parts of history, which makes it more of a smush. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and less of like a exact, this is exactly yeah, yeah. the Holocaust. This is exactly Korea. This, it's like, it's such an amalgamation. Yeah. If you're trying to draw a direct parallel, you're going to have a bad time. It's like thinking mm -hmm. about uh, racism in Zootopia for too long. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, wait, yeah. what were they? Wait, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. wait, what is that? Doesn't make any, um, but I, I think in this, I think in this, I don't think Isayama intended this, but I actually do think it ends up being a, a accidental canny critique of Ziofascism because mm. so much of the uh, line of, of Zionism was we're this tiny little country and we're surrounded on all sides by enemies, which is why we need to, you know, kill them all in order to have this – manage this existential crisis. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I think, you know – uh, Lux, you were talking earlier about how, like, the usual stereotype of the Jews is that we use our, our Bugs Bunny trickster wiles to, you know, uh, insert ourselves into places yeah. of power. But the exception of that is Israel, which does use punching in order to get right, what they which want. Is, which is why this is like a... And Hollywood. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, that's true, because there's, like, a very popular, this is a weird thing, but a very popular Bible verse in Israeli, in like right-wing Israel circles is like the, the Phineas stuff where he takes his big sword and like kills all the Canaanites mm -hmm. and like <clears throat> does all the shit. And that is like so not a part of what American or like generally international left-wing like Jewish text. Like people just never talk about that guy. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting that there is like one very small slice of Jewish history or there's a very small version of the Jewish narrative that is very violent and very like, like punch-powered. Uh, like I was saying before, and Israel is like very much taken up that mantle as like a response to this perceived like, and like like was Israel under attack by other countries? Like yes. Was it a colonial project from the start? Also yes. Like it's more it's what Israel's doing right now in twenty twenty two is not ambiguous. They're evil. They're bad. The history is more complicated. Obviously, it's the plot of Attack on Titan. Um, but like. <clears throat> I think you're right that there there's a really strong parallel to this idea that if you are beset by enemy forces, that asymmetrical warfare is somehow justified or ethical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we're if we're imagining the the Titans as nukes or whatever or as Gundams, like that's a scale of weapon to which no no one else has access. Mm -hmm. Well, Israel has a nuke. Right, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Right, yeah, like about four hundred. Yeah, Israel has a bunch of nukes, Off the and books. Israel yeah. has a bunch of nukes. The countries around them, for the most part, do not have access. I to think we need to give us. Iran a Titan. I think we need I, to. Yeah, I think so. I, and and yeah. maybe give Ilhan Omar one too. Yeah, give it. Give her. Uh, yeah, have her bite <laughs> her thumb, and she turns into a colossal <laughs> Titan. 
Um, he squishes little Lindsey Graham. He's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> we need to let we need to let Iran build the Boucher Titan. I, I don't know much about I don't know much about Israel politics, but I do know that Rod Rice is Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. He's also uh, from King of Prussia, Philadelphia. <laughs> um, the, so one thing I want to say, because I, I know I'm a little harsh on people who who like believe the show to be fascist or whatever. And I, and I do want to say that I actually understand deeply like why people would get that impression because he is like walking on all of these tight ropes with it and he's dangling a lot of things in front of you. And I think the big one that like we haven't talked a lot about is uh, we talked mentioned it earlier, but like the fact that they're like technically a race of people that have like monster blood in them and that can mm-hmm. like turn into monsters which is like a like a very anti-semitic trope yeah. and i think like, yeah general fucking like anti-human trope like people yes. not just not just not, jews but right. like black folks monsters, like people all over the world right. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh gamers uh <laughs> so what like uh what I think he's doing there is is like a very dangerous but very interesting where he's saying, let's say that every one of your racist tropes is true. Even after that, they're all still people with with emotions and motivations and they can be hurt and are driven because they've been hurt. And I feel like that is really interesting to be like, okay, like let's say there is a piece of, there is, let's say there's a group of people who can turn into monsters. They're just as much humans as everyone else still. Yeah, and so that's also like why if you read the Eldians, not as Jews, but as Japanese people, and I'm super curious to like know what Isayama thinks about stuff like Unit 731. You know, because if you read it as like, oh, we're part of this people that can turn into monsters, but they had they were they were motivated by sort of this blind arc of history in order to do it. You know, I I don't know if he would read it that way, but I I think you can read it that way as this sort of self critique of Japanese nationalism by saying that. Uh, and like a Japanese nationalist would believe we are people who are granted special powers. We have special powers. And sometimes we didn't use them all that great. Or maybe he doesn't believe that. I don't know. But I think you could do, there's not just, there's, yeah, like you said before, there's not just one reading of yeah, the Eldian, what oppressed peoples the Eldians represent. Of course. Yeah, the the historical correlates that the show, like we, like you said, you're gonna have a bad time trying to draw those out specifically, but I do think that the show in general does, I think, make this sort of argument that all of these things are sort of inevitable outcomes of kind of history and power without a sort of uh, like Derrida style rupture in in the timeline. Mm-hmm. That like these things will keep recapitulating themselves in new and different ways. Yeah. Like eternally until we can like, you know, until somehow the cycle is broken and like the kids are like let at free from the woods or whatever. So I just dad would have you, you know, visualize it as. I think it's also interesting that just how Titans just come about randomly because a blind girl enters a tree. I think it also talks about that's interesting parallel. If you're reading the Eldians as Jews, how like you get institutional power randomly. There's no rhyme or reason to it in the same way that Jews developed some institutional power because of usury laws in the medieval ages. Uh, And then that became the thing that they were associated with as a monstrosity. You know, I think that's uh, that's sort of canny as well. The Mm -hmm. fact that people come by these great sources of power by chance. Um, Yeah. And and that historical and that chance has as much role in like historical outcomes anything else. Right. Like. 
World War One was going to happen no matter what, kind of at, at a certain point. But like, like Princeep fucking was supposed to get killed by a grenade. The guy fucked up. <laughs> Or, yeah. or rather Ferdinand rather was supposed to kill my grenade the guy fucked up and then just happened to see him while he was eating lunch and got up and killed him yeah it's but like uh, that's just like a weird that's like a weird pa- parade pathing error that caused World War One <laughs> to start when it did as opposed to like six months later which could have changed the nature of like so much stuff one guy like, sh- one guy shot at him missed then tried to shoot himself and then couldn't because I guess <laughs> the gun down and then like jumped off a bridge and broke both his legs and then they caught him <laughs> that rule. There's I mean, like six failed assassination attempts. They're all like Looney Tunes level. Like things but, were just yeah. cool back then. Parade pathing is very important. Kennedy yeah, as yeah well. parade pathing is very important. But like any any number of grand historical events have to do with like a million strange, weird incidents of like universal randomness. And I think the show kind of owns up to that. That this question of like who's responsible for the cycle of violence like which like did the Eldians start the problem did the Marlins start the problem blah 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 it's sort of an irrelevant question yeah because both both that, like Griffin that's, said the that's people who are earlier, alive yeah yeah the people who are alive have to do with it but not only that but also that the events itself were caused by things that are so far out of the control of the people involved of humans. Yeah. yes right yeah, yeah. Uh, no like, one maybe... and simultaneously everyone is in control of history which is yeah. what is sort of an interesting thing about it yeah my last big thought i wanted to share uh was i think this is the only good show about war right now i don't think we have any good takes on war in any of our media in our tv in our movies in our news uh, I mean, if we if we look at the time we're in right now with like Ukraine and Russia, like 95 percent of people in this country do not understand what a no fly zone is, but they want one. Like yeah. they, there's like a sincere need to think spiritually, emotionally and, and like empathically about the concept of war in a nuanced way. Um, and I wish there was more media that had these kinds of takes about war in them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what else you would find that in, in a show that's live right now. Yeah, we don't have as much good Vietnam era stuff and, and, as we yeah. did during and, Vietnam. And I, and I think that's like, I think that's really fucking important. And I do think that if someone gives me a billion dollars to make the live action version of this, it will be the greatest show ever made. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's very true. I think even most of our uh, war documentaries, or even most of our, like, e- even, like, Schindler's List, the biggest movie yeah. about the Holocaust is a happy ending, which yes. many people have commented on as, that's a little fucked up, Spielberg. Don't make a happy movie about the Holocaust. Don't make a happy Holocaust movie. Yeah, um, not... Get out of here, Steve. Take your five and show it right up, you dumb little <laughs> asshole. Uh... He's he's a happy Jewish mouse. He's not a sad Jewish mouse. We we need something that competes with Mickey. Damn it! You, when, and by happy, you mean gay? Yeah, he's a gay. He's a gay Jewish mouse. <laughs> it's time um, for plugs, everybody. We got It's time for it's plugs. Time for plugs. <laughs> what are your plugs? Oh wow! Abrupt turn. Hello, Stephen. Um, uh, no, it's different. Say yours because I have to pull up a thing uh, from an email to plug. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Griffin P. Davis uh, or check out my YouTube sketches, lol. Uh, Griffin Patrick Davis on YouTube. Why don't you go check them out? Thanks, and it's a pleasure to be here. Also, Choom Room. Plug Choom Room. You know, Choom Room, 
I, I'm just shit posting there right now. I'm not doing anything of value there. So if you're willing, <laughs> if you're looking to waste time, I'm there playing games mainly. I used to be leading a political revolution like a Son Piper, um, but but then I realized that that was pretty cringe uh, and not as helpful as I thought. I will I will plug uh, Mutual Aid LA uh, and the DSA. Uh, sign up for both of those. Uh, that's way more useful than starting a Twitch stream. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I have a Twitch stream, which is useless and stupid, but it's called Pixel Goblins uh, with me and my friend Forrest. Uh, it's very fun. We play games. Griffin and I have a podcast called The Game Boys. You can check that out. Griffin and I uh, also work at a YouTube channel called Wisecracks, so if you can enjoy our videos. And uh, I direct video for three different wrestling shows. Uh, so check out Party World Wrestling, Slam Portal, and Fight Opera. And last but not least, my friend Christine is raising money for a uh, abortion fund in Western Pennsylvania called the Western Pennsylvania Fund for Choice. And it's particularly important because Pittsburgh is a haven city for abortion, so it has a lot of access to necessary treatment that people can't get in nearby states like Ohio and Kentucky and whatnot. Uh, even Western New York has some pretty fucked up laws. Uh, so if you have the ability to help out at all, it would be very dope to... Uh, go to fund.nnaf.org slash Queen Ozymandias and donate uh, for uh, abortion fundraising stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, that's, uh, so that's please good. do it. All right. So, yeah, it turns out the real Titan was uh, Republican pro-lifers. Well, I mean, everyone. Well, they are big. They are big, naked, and stupid. Everyone, everyone, <laughs> uh, everyone has already made this comparison, but Marjorie Taylor Greene is the female Titan. Yes, like, she looks very yeah, similar like to the Titan the, that eats Aaron's mom. Yeah, it's the jaw and the teeth spacing. Yeah. Uh, no, no, not no, no, not the one that eats mom. Looks like oh, Annie, the female Titan. The female Titan. Oh, yeah. the, okay. It's got all yeah. molars in front. Yeah. It's all molars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I'm saying is, if you guys want to cancel Marjorie, she will encase herself in crystal for three seasons oh no